Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Final Furlong Podcast with Emmett Kennedy is proudly brought to you by All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app and get involved today. All About Sunday. We love racing. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook, the market-leading messenger betting service, providing best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing, plus with the option of instant withdrawals. Visit kalukisportsbook.com to sign up For the second time this season, we are reviewing Cheltenham. And it was a cracking meeting. Also some top-class action in Ireland as well. And we will do all of that in the company of the man behind Learn, Bet, Win. Professional better, Declan Marr. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks, Emmett. It's been way too long, Declan. Way too long. Uh, and apologies, but finally we got you back on the show and looking forward to your insight uh, as we look back. We'll begin with the Paddy Power Gold Cup handicap chase, which went the way of one of the nicest men of the wing run. Uh, got to talk to him yesterday on Talk 2 That's Ryan Mania. Uh, a very emotional victory for him and Sue Smith, getting the better of the anti-post favorite Protectorat for the Skeletons. Ooh, the Skeletons had a rough couple of days, and then it all came good on Sunday with Paul Nichols, Layler, Lawler, whatever. Uh, first run for the stable, running a blinding race. Although simply the bets run a fantastic race as well. Um, and if you got the six places with Kaluki Sportsbook, then you got paid out on the right Nichols horse at the bigger price. So that's our claim to fame. Although there were more claim to fames uh, from the weekend preview. And uh, thanks for listening to that. Uh, let's break down the race. Midnight Shadow, what did you make of his performance against Protectorat, Layler, and and those in behind? Uh, Zanzo was another horse that I was quite keen on beforehand. It was kind of a dead heat for sixth place in the most bizarre circumstances. But uh, I was really pleased for Ryan Mania and Midnight Shadow. And uh, he gave the horse a cracking ride. Um, yeah, he was, uh, as always, well positioned. Uh, travelled, traveled really well. He looked, I thought he looked um, very likely to win when Cool Cody fell at the second last. Um, I suppose with hindsight, he ended up only just getting home. 
which could, I suppose, make somebody who back to Cody think that they might have beaten him. But I think the mistake of the last had a lot to do with that, possibly a little bit of idling as well. And he may not have made a mistake, mistake if the other horse was still somewhere near him. Um, I think he, if it definitely overdressed him, he was much the best horse. Uh, protector at or need to stay on late when like the time shows midnight shadow was crawling from the last like partly from the mistake partly from tying up close home and the second was really just picking up the pieces and you know he was only I think five lengths down on midnight shadow maybe took up the fourth last and he couldn't go with them from then on like so and then just kind of came home again when the when the winner kind of tied up Lawler was much the same never really in going to win the race and stayed on to be kind of flattered by being beaten to a lens, I would have said. Um, I think if there's one to take out from the race, it's simply the bets. Because yeah. he was very weak in the market, uh, considering he went off maybe, what, six to one for the same race um, the previous year, seven to one. Um, and then moves to, you know, a top trainer. You'd nearly expect him to be shorter off a lower, a three pound lower mark. Now, granted, he was only six in it last year, but his uh, profile before that was very progressive. He's still, um, you could expect more improvement out of him. So moving to a new yard, you would nearly expect him to be very strongly fancied. So to go off at 20 to 1 suggests they thought he needed to run and he pretty much ran like that in that he looked like he was going to come third, maybe gone to the second last and faded into six despite the uh, Kirkcaldy falling. Um, as well as that when simply the bets won say at Cheltenham in January 2020 and in March at the festival it was it was the same trip or even actually slightly further about half a furlong further and he was very very strong at the finish but at those times like when he won in January he looked third best at one stage and ended up winning going away and going clear the third same at Cheltenham when he won in March he looked in trouble I was very strong at the line like it looks to me like a horse that could even be better over three miles so the fact that he finishes weekly again kind of backs up that that he needed to run. Um, so he could come on a good bit from that, and I'd say he's still well handicapped. I'd agree, hundred percent agree, and he's definitely one to keep in your tracker, whether it's Racing TV, Racing Post, whoever. Actually, uh, both of us were giving out about the Racing Post beforehand. Giving out about the Racing Post in the final furlong, never. We'd never do that. Uh, so you're probably using the Racing TV or IrishRacing.com track or whatever it is you're using. Um, there's a couple of interesting post-race comments from Sue Smith. One, they're going to come back to Cheltenham. They're going to go for the Caspian Caviar uh, Gold Cup chase, which he was second in 11 months ago, although he was very well held that day. He was fairly thrashed. We had a runaway winner uh, from West Cork. Bye! Uh, but also, she was talking, Sue Smith was also talking about potentially going for the King George. Is three miles something that you would think would be up Midnight Shadows Creek. There was nothing in the run the other day to suggest he'd once further. Like, there's nothing to say he wouldn't get it either, but, you know, the way he travels, everything about it suggested like he was nearly running over his best trip. Yeah. Right. Another way, sometimes you get, you see a horse and say, oh, you know, yeah, he's effective over that trip, but he'd be better over further. Or you think, well, he wants shorter. You wouldn't look at that run and think he either wanted further or shorter. It just looked perfect for him, really. Like yeah. he was at a good, decent pace. He was able to travel strongly, picked up 
finished a bit weakly, but that was probably more a case of that race kind of uh, the pace really kind of picked up. I think maybe four out to two out was probably the hottest part of that race, and he looked very comfortable in that hot part, making ground and um, traveling well. So he looked pacey at two, two and a half. I, I don't know. I think three miles might be a stretch. Yeah, it's going to be a classic King George this year as well, by the looks of things. So you could be tilting at windmills, but then again, if you don't, if you're not in the race, you're not going to know. Uh, but we are going to see him in the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup, so we'll see him at Cheltenham again. Uh, in terms of Ryan Mania, as I was saying, I spoke to him on Talksport Two live at around about half past twelve before racing started in earnest, and he wasn't. He's not back in action until tomorrow, Tuesday when you're listening to this show. Um, so he had a little bit of a break for himself. And to think that he won the Grand National in 2013 and then just over a year later walks away from the sport. And this is where you start to understand why jockeys and trainers have a distrust of print media. Because what was written about Ryan and, and his reasons of retiring are utter nonsense. And that's what I had to use as, as research. Now, he's a real gentleman, and he was incredibly nice with me. But what was written about the reasons as to why he, he decided to walk away, that he was disillusioned from the sport, he he um, had suffered too many injuries, that wasn't it at all. He's, he's not afraid of injuries. It was that he became... I think he thought that because he'd won the Grand National that he was going to have access to more more rights. And it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and he just was looking at what he thought was best for his family overall. It wasn't disillusionment with the sport. It was just that he thought, I don't know if I'm, if I am good enough. So he made the decision to retire. And as I said, he he'd had some nasty injuries. Um, but five years after that, he was offered an assistant trainer's job. And he knew if he took it, that would be the end of it. And he went, I'm going to go back and give it one more go. Because it was always in the back of his mind, what if? What What if? What if I gave it one more go? What could I achieve? And to win at the Cheltenham Festival meant the world to him. But this almost meant more because there was actually a crowd there. And it was for Sue Smith. And there's also the bizarre irony that he wins the Grand National for Sue Smith he retires, Danny Cook becomes stable jockey, Danny Cook then suffers an injury which means he has to retire so he comes back and ends up getting the job with Sue Smith he didn't have it initially, he was being supported by other people um, and I know that relationship with, with Sue means an awful lot to him so just a, an utter gentleman and someone that you his his kid was, was crying in the back of the car as we were as we were doing the live interview and um, beauty of live radio folks. And he's, he's a proper family man, but you know, they go out there each and every day to risk their lives for our entertainment. And um, he gave the horse a terrific ride, as you said, well positioned the whole way throughout, wasn't fluent and lending at the last, but yet managed to gather him, get the momentum back and, and go on and win. And speaking of gathering and getting momentum, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Um these horses I presume will all be facing each other in the Caspian Caviar and you can expect the likes of Simply the Bets, Layler and Protectorat to all come on and be back in that race. 
Um, if I was to ask you to pick one from in behind, would it be Simply the Bets? Oh, for sure, yeah. It'd be the winner of Simply the Bets. The worry I have with the winner would be because he finished so slowly, generally that means that uh, the horses having to, his energy reserves are almost run out, but yeah, he's still trying to run at, at maximum as fast as he can, which which would take an awful lot out of you. So you'd be more worried about him um, having had a really hard race, whereas while well, Simply the Best probably finished equally as slowly, you know, he because he wasn't in the heat of the battle from the second last onwards, you know, he would have been nearly allowed to come more in his own time. So he wasn't there. Uh, he didn't have a gun to his head while, while he was really tired, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, um, and just hit the market confidence in him before and the black off would suggest he needed to run. Um, so, yeah. And then obviously the winner will get um, put up a few pounds, although not as much as he should have done because, you know, if he jumped the last team, he probably would have won five or six pence though. Oh, 100%. If he comes over that last, if he sails that last fence, he wins and he wins easily. Um, his form prior to that had been with All Mankind, where he finished third. Um, like I said, the King George was being talked about, but it's the Caspian Caviar next. And both of us would like to be taking a Kaluki Sportsbook. Can we get a price already, please? On Actually, sorry, another thing about that was simply the bets as well. His previous form is... Uh all his best form is on softer ground, so a bit more uh, rain could do him even more good that way as well. That was actually a, a theme with the Nichols horses that we'll talk about because there was another horse whose form was on soft ground that ended up winning for Paul Nichols, having been with the previous trainer, although it has been with that has been with the Nichols yard now for a year. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but uh, Kaluki, give us a give us a price on simply the, simply the bets for the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup. Uh, third time lucky. I'll uh, be honest, I was slightly worried about this horse's ability to come up the hill. And um, it was a bit of a mess of a race in that you had a lot of horses who were re-opposing very quickly. Um, Dr. Richard Newland was saying that they were taking a risk with Cup Captain Tomcat. Uh, you had McPaster in here, but third time lucky sent off odds on favourite. The rank outsider under Aidan Coleman, ends up finishing second uh, with McPaster fairly well beaten for Paul Nichols. But again, he's better suited to flat tracks. Uh, second run after a wind up. How impressed were you with third time lucky? It's impressive to a point. Um, like, it wasn't much of a race, so there wasn't, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Uh, like, he looked like he was going to win maybe very easily coming to the home bend. Uh the second last, obviously, I don't know whether it was from falling the day before or what, but um, Harry Skelton took a pull on him when he probably could have asked for one and he would have winged it. Um, but I suppose when you have to race one, there's no point in really asking a horse for a big one when you don't need it, uh, which I think maybe caused the horse a bit of momentum as well then, and he kind of maybe thought he'd done enough. So ended up, you know, kind of pushing him right out for a five-length win, whereas he looked like winning a lot further. Uh, I do think as well, yeah, did actually ask him for one at the fort last and he absolutely flew it, but it also meant that he landed and it kind of set him alight a bit. And I was just doing some timings between obstacles for some of the races and that period between the fourth and third last was uh, was the hot part of that race. And I think he probably was getting a bit tired at the finish because he'd been set light so far out. And um, so all told, he did what you'd expect, but... 
know, you wouldn't want to read too much into it either way. Going to be a lot of very exciting Irish contenders in this division as well. So, I mean, he's clearly the leading British contender as we talk for the Oracle, but there's going to be a few Irish horses that will have their say. Um, but I, I thought that you summed it up perfectly. We didn't really learn a whole lot with the way the race unfolded. No, I think if he had learned anything, it was good that when he actually gave him a kick in the belly and asked him to pick up for one, he, that was when he jumped the best, which obviously would uh, maybe, I suppose, give you more com- confidence for when he runs in a faster run race where you know you need to be able to jump at speed. And sometimes you see these novice chases and they spend all winter winning uh, slowly run races and you think, why oh, they jump well, and then suddenly they go to Cheltenham and it's where they hadn't seen a fence before because they're not capable of... of capable or used to jumping at the speed they have to at Cheltenham in March. So uh, I thought like when he asked him for one and he stood off one, it was when he looked the best, which means he might even look better when he gets a, a proper gallop. Yeah. Um, and I would agree with that as well, that once he gets the proper gallop, that's when we're, we're going to see the best of him. Um, Bob Allinger is going to be out soon. Um, I know that he's been withdrawn not once, but twice. Uh, he was in the entries and then was taken out. He was in the entries for Punchestown over the weekend. He came out with a stone bruise. Whether or not he goes down the Arkell route is a bit of a moot point, I would think. But appreciated is going to be the the main player, I would say, for, for Ireland. And, uh, you know, Nicky's going to have something as well. There's, there's something there in Nicky's yard. But right now, third time lucky... He leads the way, but I don't know if I want to be taking tens about him for the Oracle, we'll put it that way. Um, Sporting John wins the handicap hurdle, the 250. The thing about this was that both Rory and I had had our concerns. Another horse who was having a wind operation, although this was his first wind up. Um, And the issue that I had with him is that he'd been to Cheltenham a couple of times and had just been awful there. But, and Rory was pointing out, oh, people are raving about the Philip Hobbs team. Philip Hobbs is back. Stable's in tremendous form. Nonsense. When you actually go and look at the pro form figures, that's just not the case. Uh, but Sporting John, <laughs> not only is Philip Hobbs back, uh, we have to retract that. Of course we don't. Um, his horses are still running okay. Uh, but Sporting John is suddenly come alive at Cheltenham, and that's a good sign overall. He's still only six. He'll be seven by the time Cheltenham comes around. Uh, he's beaten an inform horse in, on a gathering storm for an inform stable, and um, the question is going to be about what he does, because he, he did win a grade one last season. That was the Sicily Isles Novices chase at Sandown, but where they go with him now remains to be seen because do you stay over hurdles and try him in grade one company and try him as a stairs hurdle horse or do you go back over fences with him? Um, I don't think he's a stairs hurdle horse anyway. Like You'd have to improve quite a bit more from winning a fairly ordinary handicap off 146 to win a stairs hurdle. Um, it's possible he's still lightly raced. Uh, I suppose a good thing he finished his race off really well very well. I know, like, I did, I, like, I mean, he was only pretty his foot hands and heels mostly on the run in, but I, I wouldn't be getting too carried away. Like, 
they went to the decent enough gallop, picked up probably again, maybe from four out, pace kind of picked up. He nearly briefly got outpaced on the last bend by the seconds and kind of just stayed on stronger than him. You could pretty credit him with a little bit extra considering he wasn't all out, but it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't scream uh, stairs hurdle contender for me. No, not me um, either. But the, the only thing I would say about that is that there was a JP horse that you would have said the exact same thing about um, for John Joe O'Neill, who started out in Handicap Company. I think it was Dan Barber put him up. said, I have a funny feeling this horse is going to end up in the Sarah's Hurdle. And that horse ended up beating any power in at Fisher's Cross. If he's yeah, not- yeah, move. What's it called? Moving in time? Or- Move in time? Was it move in time? Yeah. Or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And Some, then I think he was... People are yelling yeah, at, the, uh, at, the, at their sound speakers right now going, you idiot! I would say he looked a lot more promising off probably, probably lower marks initially, but he always looked like, you know, he was a massive progressor. You couldn't read through the, from the early winter that year, you couldn't really say the same about Sporting John in that, you know, he's, his level of form now is improved a bit over hurdles, didn't look quite good enough for Group 1 company. Same, I know he won a grade one last year over fences, but, you know, it was a Mickey Mouse race. Um, then wasn't good enough for Cheltenham and Aintree, and now he wins a hurdle race, which he was probably entitled to go close in. So, you know, there's no major improvement in the last two years in his, um, what, what you would think his ability is. So I'm not sure whether he's going to suddenly take the jump forward between now and March to be a... Now, granted, maybe he's had a lot of issues, and if they get a clear run with him, he could still improve, but... Yeah. Yeah, we buzzed that right up, by the way. It was more of that. More of that. What did we say? Moving time. time. Moving time. (laughs) We buzzed that one right up. Uh, So he won off a mark of 130. And um, the one thing you can say about... uh, I've got to delete moving time now from my screen is uh, Sporting John has taken this race from a mark of 146. So he's already ahead. But I, I agree with you. The only thing I'd say is that the stairs hurdle division is wide open. Yeah, it wasn't great last year anyway. It certainly um, wasn't great last year. Something, something could come out of the woodwork. Now, uh, there was one, like I wouldn't say promising much, but if there was one horse I'd be half interested in now that race, it was the fourth um, shoe time. Yeah. And that... He gave away about 12 lengths at the start, and I know the jockeys would say, oh, do you want to get them settled, and blah, 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 but I've no idea how you can win races giving away that much ground um, at the start, and he's only had two runs over three miles, didn't really look to stay on the previous start, and I would say, although he finished the race off better the other day, I wouldn't say he stayed it, or definitely didn't look his optimum trip again, because he travelled into the race very easily, jumped in the second last, and kind of when you might think he'd pick up and have a good chance, he kind of flattened out a bit then. And I would say he'd be definitely better over maybe two mile five or so than he is over three mile. Mm. So he could, you know, he could still, I think he probably yeah, was out of the handicap the other day as well, was he? I think maybe he might have been. Yeah. He was off one, two, seven. Whereas his previous run was, although that was in Ireland, so no, he really wasn't actually. He was off one two four in Ireland, so he was just higher in England. Um, but yeah, dropped a few pounds, dropped and trip. You know, he could probably go close. And um, doesn't need to run that great either. So uh, I thought his run was promising enough. Yeah, I felt sorry for Porsche Mina 
because he was traveling decently when he took a tumble two out. But again, long way to go at Cheltenham before you can start jumping to yeah, conclusions. I love it. If you watched it, I, watching it, I thought that my eye would have been drawn more to if the horse is in behind to show time at that stage coming to the second ass than, um, than Prashima. But yeah, like obviously he might have found more of it. Mm, and was so fancied in the market as well. But uh, Showtime's an interesting one. you got to put into the tracker. Uh, S-C-H-E-U, just in case you're, you're wondering, and we're not going with the US broadcaster Showtime. Um, but I did think that Gavin gave him an awful lot to do in that race. And who knows where Sporting John ends up? Who knows? Does he go back over fences? Could it possibly be that he's going to end up being... Um, was saying that we couldn't really find a suitable enough chase was what Philip Haas was saying afterwards. So it made sense to just leave other options and come here. Uh, he stayed very well. And um, we need to find out now if he's good enough. I wouldn't rule out going back over fences. On the other hand, could be a high-class hurdler too. There's lots of options. Reading that in real time, to be honest. So maybe he will be a stairs hurdle horse. Who knows? Um, the, the horse who clearly leads that division right now is Flooring Porter, but as long as he doesn't end up on the floor like he did the last time, pardon the bun, then uh, he's still the one they all have to beat. And the last time we did a review, we were talking about Gavin Cromwell and Jonathan Moore. Um, since learned that they have split, that's that's donezo. So Danny Mullins will be on board. Um, flooring Porter going forward. And uh, I think Keith Donahue retains the right on Vanillier for as long as the owners want him on board. And for as long as he's available. So sorry for Jonathan Moore that it happened. Um, not entirely sure why, but he seems to be doing okay in the UK. And um, Gavin Cromwell is still banging in the winners. So look, people fall out. People move on. It happens. And um, we'll move on to our next race. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Gal Road, put up by if I remember correctly, by Mr. Roy Zilargi. Uh, 13-2 to two winner for Big Nige. Uh, beats Unexpected Party. Again, Dan Skelton in the runners-up enclosure. It would change. It would turn around. Uh, with Makeldoff, my selection, finishing third. Uh, competitive enough race, and uh, it ended up being quite easily won by Nigel and Sam. Um, yeah. I think it I don't know. I think he was the pace wasn't strong in that race at all, and he was definitely better positioned up the front too. Big time. Uh, when they picked up, and the, he also went around the inside. Now it's not always the case that that's the best thing, but 
I think going good ground at Cheltenham, it's better than going wide. You see them often in soft ground and they go wide, and Stephanie didn't do the whole way. But I don't expect the party went quite wide the whole way. Uh, when the pace did pick up, he, he definitely wasn't as well positioned as the winner. And, you know, it was a little bit of a sprint. Not like It wasn't that they crawled or anything, but Gow Road wasn't stopping at all in front, which made it him very hard to catch from the home bend. And I thought unexpected party did as well as you could possibly hope. I think if they met again uh, with slightly more pace on, the second could very easily have uh, changed, have won the race and because he would have had more chance to make up the ground that he was behind. So, you know, if they met the next day and Gal Road to give him an extra three or four pound, I'd nearly pick the second, especially if it looked like there was a, more of a gallop likely. Interesting quote from Nigel Justin Davis afterwards was, softer the ground, the better. So if they do meet again and it's softer ground, maybe Gal Road would continue to have the advantage. But then again, maybe Unexpected Party would would appreciate that as well. But um, you're completely right about the total lack of pace in the race. And um, Gal Road was very, very well positioned. Uh, he does look like a horse to me who's going to stay three miles in time. And they're adamant that they're going over fences next season with them. But... Let's see what happens when Gal Road and Unexpected Party meet again. Uh, the next race brings us to the next day, doesn't it? It does. Uh, 300, 300, 300 through five uh, gets the better of uh, Does He Know for Kim Bailey, who was really well supported in the market just before the off. Uh, Adrian Heskin riding for his retained owners. Um Oscar Elite, unfortunately, wasn't fluent at the sixth and then ended up coming down three out uh, under supervision. Wasn't exactly the best. He was leading and he fell three out. And Streets of Doyen was in a bizarre position where he just refused. Just like, I've had enough. Nah. Um, I would have expected of the two left standing that Does He Know was the one who was going to come out on top. But 300 through five continues to get the job done. He's only been beaten at Chepstow um, over fences. And his form ties in with Vanillier from the Stairs Hurdle. Stair, I say the Stairs Hurdle. The Novices Stairs Hurdle. Also known as the Potato Race for Final Forum Podcast listeners with Vanillier going and winning his Novice Chase um, in Ireland at Punchestown. So 300 through 5 has, has done it now as well. And um, he's a, clearly a very, very smart horse for Paul Nichols and the McNeil family. Yeah, I thought he won well. Uh, he, he jumped quite well. He didn't really look in much danger from um, the home bench. It wasn't a bad out race, you know. I suppose when you've only two finishers, form is always a bit... Uh, Hard to pin down, but like the time figure was actually quite good. Although I wouldn't place that much emphasis on that over jumps when you've only got, I think it was three chases on the card. Um, but he did everything right, and he obviously could still improve, so he's already at a decent enough level over fences. Um, so he should, he should come on again. It's just, it's just hard to pin down exactly what he achieved when 32 finishers, yeah. That was almost the story of the weekend in in the novices' chases uh, at Cheltenham. It's just it's difficult to fully ascertain what's been achieved by the winner, considering the fact that 
one of his main market rivals has taken a tumble and a horse who's very highly regarded by the Tizard Yard and by Rory de Gravy for that matter as well. Um, again, shout out, we don't know the name of the man on the train who went up to Rory and said, de Gravy, as he was walking past, just to, just to check, was it actually Rory? Um, so tweet us, let us know, and we'll send you a mug. Um, don't pretend to be that person, by the way. Rory will know, and Rory will confirm. Um, under supervision coming down as well, and of course, Streets of Dwayne doing what he did, but uh, I think the fact that he's been able to put away, does he know, for Kim Bailey, who was so well supported in the market, and that he's kind of, he's kind of been a little bit, um, I'm not going to say unstable in the market because he was five five to two, three to one. He goes off eleven to four, so he's he's actually been fairly rock steady uh, in, in the market overall. What what intrigues me about him is that Paul Nichols has won this race with some good horses in the past. Um, Black Horton being probably the the best example of him, and I know that's not exactly one of Paul Nichols' absolute stable stars, but still, it's a race he targets. And the fact that he's been able to do that and win it. Trainers are a creature of habit. So, same applies to Oscar Elite. The fact that Oscar Elite lined up here when Colin Tizard has trained the, targeted this race in the past tells you all you need to know. And I'd be excited about 300 through 5 to a certain extent. I'm, I'm excited in that I want to see what he does next. I want to see where he goes next, how he runs. Um, they were talking about the Brown Advisory um, and uh, they were kind of they were mixing it up in terms of where exactly to go. Um, I just said it to Max as the quote from Paul Nichols that he'd be superb for the National Hunt Chase and something like the Reynolds Town in the spring. So he'd be coming over to Ireland. A number of Paul Nichols horses are going to come over to Ireland by the sounds of things, which is which is really good news, particularly for the Dublin Racing Festival. Uh, which is fantastic to hear. Uh, he's a really strong stare. He jumps and gallops away, and you can ride him handy. My head lad, Clifford Baker, said that the horse would run well in a national one day. Uh, I hope he's right. He's a lovely staying horse. So, four-miler. Not quite four-miler, not quite amateur rider's chase. Seems to be the target for 300 through five uh, long-term. We'll see if Adrian Heskin has a say about that, because... You know, the jockeys' union likes to keep their rides. And um, yeah. on, unless the amateurs are allowed back in control of that race again, then Adrian Heskin would be would be ruled out of it. Um, another winner for Paul Nichols on the day was Yala Enki. And Yala Enki is a horse who I find very, very interesting because Yala Enki's best form comes on soft heavy. The going at Cheltenham was officially good. Now, I know the ground was kicking up a little bit, but it was still good throughout the entire day. That's what they kept on saying. And um, Briny Frost has given this horse a, a fantastic ride. Um, previously with Phoenicia Williams, has been third three times in the Welsh Grand National. And I suspect it will be the Welsh Grand National next. Um, Paul Nichols indeed saying that he will have an entry in the Welsh Grand National. The race that suits him is the Portman Cup at Taunton. He loves that race. Uh, if he went straight there, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Depending on what weight he gets for the Welsh Nationals, what he said. It was a super performance, and uh, the crowd loved these old horses who just keep on jumping and galloping. Paul Nichols, full quote, um, in the Racing Post to give them their credit. So, 
not entirely certain then that he will go back to the Welsh National Chips, though. Uh, he may very well just go straight to Taunton for the race he's won for the last 17 years. Yeah, I can't imagine they'd skip the Welsh Nationals if he's okay. Um, it's also very hard to see him win it uh, because like he won off 157 the other day. He's bound to get at least a couple of pounds, which would bring him back up to what he was off in the Welsh National last year. Um, when he was third, you know, he's not going to improve. He'd be... Uh, He'd be 12, almost 12 then. So, you know, he'd probably run well in it again without winning it. Like, he definitely wouldn't uh, think he did anything the other day that he hasn't done before because, like, he was given he was given a few length starts. When the tapes went up, he got a soft lead, pretty much dictated. Uh, now, granted, he stayed so strongly, that might necessarily have suited him to not go a good gallop either, but... Yeah, maybe uh, he didn't go a great gallop, so... Uh, it might not have suited him because he could probably do it more. He stays so well that he probably did well to win and was turning to probably a mile and a half race rather than anything that happened before that was nothing that was quite was quite tame. Um, but at the same time, he didn't do anything we did, don't know about him. And it's hard to see him in the Welsh National of what could be a mark of 160 or so, although he'd probably run well. Um, if there was anything in that race, the mighty Don was probably unlucky not to win it. Uh, he made a really bad mistake at the water the first time. And then he was kind of outpaced when he quickened on the run to the third last um, and stayed on strongly in the straight. But the only thing about him is he does tend to make mistakes. So he kind of needed a good bit to go right with a good gallop to, uh, to actually pick up a price. Uh, but he looked like the horse in the race that was possibly the best handicap if you could have um, got a bit more of a, a gallop to run at and didn't make that really bad mistake. But I wouldn't get too carried away with him. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the thing that was the most interesting postscript from this race was that Brian Hughes ended up getting a two-day ban for interfering with Brian Hughes. And first of all, I was watching the race because I was covering it for TalkSport. I was presenting. Uh, Lizzie Kelly and Rupert Bell were doing the commentary. But I've re-watched it countless times. And if Brianley appeals, she wins. She wins this on appeal, no problem at all. Um, secondly, the, the issue is with from the third last. Now, I actually said to Lizzie Kelly, that I suspect that uh, Kieran Buckley is going to be having a word with Brian Hughes afterwards because he's bumped Go Another One when Go Another One was, was traveling quite well. And Stuart Machen's commentary on Racing TV when I rewatched it afterwards, but Rupert's commentary as well was quite similar. Rupert said, um, Brian Hughes is angling out for a better position. It's something similar that Stuart Machen uses a kind of similar wording. Um, but at no point can I spot Brian Hughes having to grab his reins and go, oh, and snatch up the horse because he's being interfered with. At no point did I see her cut across that causes him severe interference. In fact, what I actually saw was Brian Hughes makes a deliberate maneuver that interferes with going another one and 
causes that horse to lose momentum. Yet Briny Frost is the one who ends up with the ban, and there wasn't a word said about Briny Hughes. I can't yeah, tell you the truth. I barely noticed anything at all. I did see somebody on about it on Twitter, but I I never looked at it closely. Because well, it that, that in itself tells me everything that I need to know. The fact that you were watching the race, but you didn't go, oh, geez. Like, Briny's gone up the yeah, inside. Briny's one, done one of her crazy, evil Knievel, I'm going up the inside moves. Like... It it wasn't that at all. It really wasn't. And she appeals, she wins. It's as simple as that. Um, Rory was of the same view on, on social media. And I, I watched it back so many times that my computer was like, are you sure you want to keep watching this? Like, seriously. Um, but I, I couldn't see what she had done wrong to end up getting a two-day ban. Whereas I could definitely see the brand news could have gotten a ban. Um, so it's it's beyond me how she's ended up getting that way, getting that ban. It's beyond me how there's a ban dished out to Briny Frost, yet nothing is done to Brian Hughes, particularly when the ban results in a perceived maneuver that Briny has made, which takes Brian Hughes on Empire the Mold, Empire the Mold. Uh, which forces him to move out. It didn't force him to move out at all. He moved out for a better position. Stuart Machen says it on Racing TV. It was said by Rupert Bell on, on TalkSport 2. And my initial analysis before I knew anything about it was Kieran Buckley's going to want to have a quiet word of Brian Hughes about that because you don't do that. Uh, and, he, and he didn't bump him once. He bumped him twice. So how Brian has ended up getting a ban, I don't know. But uh, it's... Almost the genius of Paul Nichols, because I do remember Rory saying, at this stage of a horse's career, why? Why do you move a horse from Venetia Williams, a proven trainer, to Paul Nichols? You think he's going to eke out more success? Um, clearly, there must have been some kind of a falling out. I don't know what it was. But the one thing that you would say is that when this horse was trained by Venetia, all of his best form was on soft. Yeah, this was good ground and given a very enterprising ride by Briny and goes and wins. So, um, And not the only horse of Paul Nichols, as we've discussed over the weekend, that seemingly needed soft ground to be at their best. Uh, things did not go to plan for the Skelton team on Friday or Saturday, but it all came together beautifully on Sunday. You bastards. <laughs> to be fair, uh, I can't have any complaints about the Schlur, but both both Declan and I will be quite sour about the next race that we talk about. Uh, Nube Negra, second in the champion chase and subsequently destroyed by Shaq and Porsois when coming over here trying to take our prize money, Declan. Uh, we'll show them. Shaq uh, and beats him 25 lengths with Alaho managing to, to plug on into second. Um, seemingly, Willie's not giving up on the idea of two miles. Willie, come on. Um, but this was a pleasing success for Dan and Harry, um, particularly for Harry, given what he'd gone through the last few days. And um, the horse is very stylish as well. His victory over Altior was a victory over an Altior that was no longer the Altior of before. But this was pretty impressive to go and bash up Politolog in the manner that he had. I won't for a second... We'll, we'll come to put the kettle on in a few minutes, but... Um, 
the official rating that Plitalog has, and this was his first run after Windov, is 167. And there's not a whole lot to tell me that he didn't run his race here, but Nubi Negra buried him. It was very, very impressive. Uh, yeah, it won well. Uh, it got a pretty much perfect trip, though, in that Plitalog went a decent gallop. Nubi Negra managed to uh, tuck in on the rails, getting a bit of cover. In a, especially in a small field, you couldn't really hope for any more that you'd be able to get some cover while still getting a decent enough pace to aim at because like he does always look like he might want to go strike faster. So slow pace would be probably when you catch him out a bit and he'd probably pull a bit hard. Um, look, he, he travelled much the best, won nicely, but whether he improved or not, possibly. More so, like he's young enough to improve, so he could have improved a few pounds, I suppose. But like, it's Rube Vic was beaten a long way in the end and hasn't really looked at the <laughs> champion chase horse anyway. It put the kettle on, clearly wasn't right. Um, like, it, thank you, was, by the way. Uh, thank you. Like, people sorry. were. Thank you for saying that, by the way. There was kind of analysis from some people afterwards, like, oh, that's her putting her place. She hasn't run a mile. That's not anywhere like near she's her best way. Like so, she was off the bridle before halfway. So you know, she I'd say she actually did well to battle on to only get beaten ten lengths because she didn't look like getting within ten lengths of the winner for nearly the whole race. Um, yeah, I'd say New Negra if you wanted to push the boat, if say you improved a few pounds on what you did last year, and clearly does is still young enough to improve more. And you know, I wouldn't pay too much attention to Punchestown. Like Punchestown form when a horse shows either massive improvement or disappoints is generally end of season. Yeah. Reason to it rather than anything else. I wouldn't like to be backing a horse on having showed massive improvement in Punchestown either. And likewise, you can normally forgive a horse in disappointing a Punchestown because especially if they've gone to Shelton and or both, um, they're trained for Shelton and they're not trained for Punchestown in the end of April, early May. Yeah, so with, with the greatest, at least, at least say most of the English horses aren't anyway. Maybe some of Willie's might you might hold on to a few for Punchestown, but in general they're not. And I wouldn't pay too much attention to either massively improved or massively disappointing ones there. Yeah, uh, with the greatest respect to Punchestown, which we've both been to and we both really like, Cheltenham is the be all and end all. The Dublin Racing Festival is becoming more and more important. You still have Aintree Ferry Houses there as well, and then there's Punchestown. And Punchestown can be that afterthought for British trainers, and it can be an afterthought for Irish trainers as well. The exception is the obvious, and that's Willie Mullins. Willie almost builds his entire campaign around working backwards from spring. And it's almost working back backwards from Cheltenham slash Punchestown. How do I get these horses to there and to be at their best there? Um, that was not put the kettle on. It, wasn't her at all. It clearly wasn't her, given the fact that her four previous runs at Cheltenham twice were at this meeting where she'd won, twice at the festival where she's won the Arkle and the Champion Chase. And to quote Lizzie Kelly, the warning lights were on very, very early in this race. You knew your fate very early on, unless something dramatic happened and there was already plenty of drama at Cheltenham that weekend. So... You can draw a line through that. Um, they'll get her back. 
to Henry de Bromhead's yard, check her out, see how she's doing. But she is she's still going to be a leading player. But at the same time, for both her and for Nube Negra, and indeed for Politolog as well, who's been a, a long-standing high-class chaser and a deserved champion chaser in 2020, this division only gets hotter. Shishkin, I did like James, James Knight's tweet. What's the betting on the excuse that Shishkin <laughs> ducks the Tinkle Creek? Stonebrews, we think waiting for the Desert Orchid would be better. Unsuitable ground, even though the ground is okay, go straight to Cheltenham. Uh, because the announcement's been made by Willie Mullins that one of, crucially, an Ergamine or Shaq and Porsois will be turning up for the Tinkle Creek. So game on. Game on. I almost left Shishkin out of my to- tent to follow on the basis of that. Um, I decided I'd, I'd uh, roll the dice. So we'll have to wait and see. Um is Nube Negra a big player in the champion chase, or, or are you of my mindset that it only gets harder from here? It's only going to become harder. Look, I think he's a, he's a good bit more chance of winning than put the kettle uh, on those again. I don't think she's any better than what she did last year, and it's highly unlikely that's going to be good enough because last year she needed only one horse to flop in Shaq and Porsois to win. This year she would need three, so... Um, Obviously, a lot can happen between now and then, but I don't think she's going to improve. And one of them could be a stone better than her. Like if they, Shaq and Persuade already is a stone better than her at his best. Didn't obviously produce it last year, but um, the other two could be anything either. Like so, I would think um, she'd have a work cut out to win again. Nubanegra, likewise, on his best form would have his work cut out, but you know he is probably still progressing and could progress a bit more. So might get closer to that level by the time March comes around. Um, but yeah, you know, he'd still have a bit to go before he'd be up to Shaq and Porsois his best. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where they go with Nube Negra next. I presume it's Desert Orchid for him on his next start. I presume that's where they go. If they choose to go for the Tinkle Creek, game on. Happy days. Let's... Let's throw them all in there. Let's go. Let's let's get an early season taster of what's to come. Uh, that would be very, very exciting. But I presume they go Desert Orchid, and, and that's more than fine. I mean, that's very, very respectable. Um, we're both in agreement that that was not the performance of... of um, actually, just checking this. Do you know, I did... I took... Oh, no, I didn't. Never mind. I thought for a second that I actually had been ballsy enough to leave Shishkin out on the back of a hilarious James and I tweet and was like, no, no, leave him in there. Because uh, it's a bonus race and you're going to get extra points as well. Whether he finishes first or third. Um, but it's a red-hot division this year if they all reach their full potential and if they all get there. And if we've got an Ergamine actually getting to Cheltenham this time around, uh, it'll be fascinating, but Nuber Negra can definitely be a leading UK player, uh, but put the kettle on, did not run his race, and uh, her race, I should say, as we gender reassign her. And as you said, it was a farce of a race in terms of how it all unfolded. Like the Why they rode Chacan Porsois the way they did was just truly bizarre in the champion chase last season. Um, his weapon is going out in front and putting everything in 
in in trouble. And for some reason, they didn't do that. And I just don't understand or, or know why. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Uh, the Great Wood Handicap Hurdle went the way of West Cork. Boo! Beating Adagio, the moral winner of the race, uh, lumping top weight. Only four years of age. First run after a wind up, carrying 11 stone 12. Um, the Triumph Hurdle second has run an absolute blinder. Uh, not that I would be biased at all in the show. With uh, Camprond back and forth. No ordinary Joe, who had been the anti-post gamble, finishing third. But um, I mentioned Camprond because Aidan Coleman was on board, who we interviewed for TalkSport 2 beforehand. And um, he was reasonably bullish about the horse. And I thought he's run quite well. And... He's a young horse who's got an exciting future ahead of him. Uh, Adagio, look the winner coming in over the last. And I'm not just in this on my own, brother. You were with me. We were both on the Adagio train, but we didn't learn until today that we were both on the Adagio train. Um, 16s into 11s, well backed for the pipe team. And the Triumph Hurdle runner, runner-up has run an absolute blinder, but ultimately has come undone by the uh, pesky skeletons who deserve the success in fairness. Um, yeah, I actually, I tipped the Baggio at, at um, 16 to one on my premium service, but I actually did want to, I backed West Cork at 15 to one, I think it was on better myself, and I, but I wanted 14 to one to tip it. And of course, while he was over that all morning on the exchange, he never actually hit it with the bookies. So oh. I never got, I never got to tip him. So I won money on the race, but obviously I would have much preferred to, the horse I tipped up to have won, and he did look like winning. Um, coming to the last, um, having made probably what two and a half lengths to get into a challenging position, um, he flattened out a bit on the run in. But at the same time, if you, when you, I watched it again there today, they actually jumped the second last almost uh, upsides, at least going into the second last. And West Park was kind of asked for an effort first, whereas Tom Scudamore kind of set on Adagio a bit longer. So, in a way, it might have been slightly, um, what would I say, like Adagio, I think, was done at five to one on and running because it looked like, you know, he's the one that's coming with the momentum. But at the same time, West Cork was asked for an effort sooner and kind of made his three lengths. And then he was coming to challenge the leader, whereas Adagio was later asked for his effort and kind of made three lengths. So, you could kind of understand that the, the spurt they both made to make the three lengths could be cost holding. It did not cost them, but it, it it meant that they then settled down a bit after that. So Daggio wasn't really coming with such a run as as it might have looked at the time that he was, you know, wasn't able to go with him and then suddenly caught up with him. And then nor- normally it would mean, well, he's going to keep going. It was really because Swedenborg conserved his energy a bit longer, then asked him for an effort. But the same as West Cork didn't sustain his initial burst, Daggio wasn't able to sustain his either. And West Cork, probably the rail to help, um, just found enough to hold on. Um, I thought if you ran that race again the next time, especially with the adjusted weights, I'd be fancying the third horse to come out on top. No ordinary um, Joe. 
yeah, like if you even just looked at it on the day, without the fact that the winner would probably get a few pound extra, and the second and him and the weights, uh, he's less exposed in that. That was his first handicap start. He pulled quite hard, made the running at a decent pace. It wasn't like he got a soft lead, and only faded out. But in the last hundred yards, like I definitely think he has off a mark of one three three more potential to improve than definitely Adagio, who's a bit higher up the way. It's West Cork, obviously, looked well handicapped going into it. Um, but they were wrong about going over fences with him, so whether they stay over hurdles, they probably will stay over hurdles now. Uh, he can still definitely improve again as well. Uh, like Adagio, you would say, is maybe more the most exposed of the three of them, having had a, a season where he was running at the top level last year. And it was more his class and everything. And the fact that he was better in the result at Aintree that made me think he, he could be well enough handicapped to win. But I I don't think he's going to end up the season as a 160 horse, if you know what I mean, or a 160 something, whereas, which would be another £10 on top of what he's going to go up. Whereas you could easily see No Ordinary Joe going up another stone or more in the weights before the end of the year. I would think he's more scoped to, to still win one of these big handicaps. That's interesting that you make that point because he'd won a pair of two mile four novice hurdles back in May. Um, so he's come into this really lacking the experience of, of others. Adagio is obviously running in big fields. He's won the finale. He's been second in a triumph. And as you said, Aintree, you can just completely rule out. Although he did travel into that race, like the most likely winner. And then hey, just, look the winner. That's why like you could, you could have made a case for his marathon, uh, very reasonable in that heat. If he's done what he looked like doing during the last at entry, he would have been hired in 147. Um, but at the same time, you know, he did have more chances to show how good he is last year. Whereas yeah. West Cork clearly hasn't, haven't been off for a good while. And that was his first handicap as well. So, you know, he can still improve a good bit. And likewise, No Ordinary Joe is similarly unexposed, even more so than West Cork, and that he was winning Mickey Mouse races, having had a really good fourth and a grade two on his first hurdle run. He's only had like, uh, five runs in total, including the bumper. So he's very unexposed. First handicap. Um, just even just the fact that he ran so free that he did really well to compare. He, you know, he can only go up what three pound for that. Like he still has an awful lot of scope off a mark of one three six. I would have thought. Yeah, and he's a horse who finished behind my Drogo, who will obviously be talking about. Don't think we're not going to be talking about that race. But there's also the fact that, as you said, this was West Cork's first run in a handicap but also extra credit to Dan Skelton because it's his first run for 300 and 631 days let's not downplay it uh, 631 days so you can make the argument that he's well treated in the 130s but he's clearly a horse who's had problems and I'd read the same as you that they were considering going over fences with him and yet this was the race that he was ending up in maybe they were just rolling the dice and going for it and seeing how he would perform. But the fact that he'd been off the track for that length of time, 631 days, um, with novice chasing being discussed, when he'll be rising eight, yet this is where he ends up, you now start to think, surely it's the big two-mile handicaps that you're going to keep going for. Um, bet for a hurdle, maybe, maybe not Lalabrook, but... Bedford Hurdle and, of course, the um, County Hurdle at Cheltenham all come to mind. Um, they might even just give him a break and let him go there um, and decide that that's what they're going to do. But 
it was a I know it was a freak injury he got, but it caused him to miss an entire season. So it's it's really impressive that a horse who was second in uh, a grade two as a novice could come back from such a, a lengthy break and go and beat a horse who was second in a triumph hurdle. Um, even though he is getting that, that weight allowance. I was really pleased for, for Dan and Harry while at the same time going duh, 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 with Adagio. Um, and I'm in agreement with you. I'm not entirely certain that Adagio is going to be in the 160s. But at the same time, champion hurdle division in the UK is not exactly the best. There's no reason why Adagio can't line up in the champion hurdle trials and run well and be given the opportunity to then go and run in the big race on the day because what's there you know I can easily see Adagio lining up at Kempton I could easily see him lining up in the Christmas hurdle maybe Epitant bounce back bounce back to form um, and you take Nicky Henderson at his word <laughs> maybe uh, and, and that the horse is is back to form but I mean what else is he going to say of course the of course he's going to say the horse is back to form um, champion hurdle is a very very weak division and it's a weak division that's controlled by Ireland right now. So we need to see who Britain are able to bring along. And maybe Adagio, maybe West Cork, maybe an ordinary Joe stay down the handicap route. Maybe uh, they'll be plying their trade in the in the greater company. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Tritonic ran well enough, but I think that's his form now. I think that's just what he is. Uh, I like to move it, or as Aidan Coleman called him on Talksport Two yesterday. I like to move it, move it, which then had the song in my head for the rest of the day. Um, Washington put it up to him. Uh, this time, it didn't go to plan for Dan and Harry Skelton. Uh, they came down when held at the last. Uh, thankfully, the horse is all right, but he had taken a real keen hold. Um, I like to move it was very strongly fancied in the market and gets the better of a previously unbeaten Washington. Um, and a horse who's held in reasonably high regard for Ollie Murphy as well. So, uh, thoughts on the Skybet Supreme Trial Novices Hurdle? Did that look like a potential Supreme Novices Hurdle winner to you, my man? I think whatever you thought before the race, you should think after the race because um, definitely nothing happened in the race to, to alter your opinion. If anything, I would, I would think he should have won by more than two lengths. Mm. Even off, but it was it was a first race. Like they went, they went no gallop. I think they were about forty three lengths slower than the than uh, the winner. He was about forty three lengths slower than West Cork to four out. Yet he was still only half a length quicker from that point. So I'm about forty three lengths behind him. He still didn't make any ground um, time wise on him. Now he was about six lengths quicker than West Cork from two out. So it kind of just shows you it was basically a sprint from the second last and he still didn't even cut that much into the lead of the, the handicap hurdle, which if you were going to take any view, I'd take a slightly negative view of, of the fact that they couldn't have cut into it a bit more when they were clearly sprinting. Um, so yeah, apart from that, it didn't tell you anything. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be reading a whole lot into it. Yeah, I would completely and wholeheartedly agree with that. Um the Leem and Valerie Brennan Florida Pearl Memorial Novices Chase means we head to Ireland uh, for the Great Two. Um, same memorial. It's the Leem and Valerie Brennan Florida Pearl Novices Chase, uh, but obviously run in memory of one of the greatest 
steeplechasers that Ireland has ever seen. Um, Gordon Elliott has targeted this race in the past with pencil full of lead. I still maintain there's a decent race to be won with him and some other good horses have taken this back in the day, including back in focus before going on to win at the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, there were some brutal falls in this race and unfortunately we lost six shooter who took a really bad fall. I was amazed that horse had been sent off favourite for the race. I thought this was a very clear opportunity for Vanillier. Um, and whether or not your impression of his victory at Cheltenham is that of, oh, that was a fluke. I don't think that. I didn't think that on the day. I thought he was the best horse in the race and was given a very enterprising ride uh, by by Mark Walsh and just went out and blitzed them in the potato race. Um, Jonathan was back on board at Punchestown and it didn't quite go to plan on it. I hope that's not why everything ended. Just because certain horses didn't run to form at Punchestown because that point has already been very well made by my esteemed colleague Declan that you don't take Punchestown form literally. Then again, Punchestown, if you're going to offer us uh, the five-star treatment and the lobster and all that, uh, we're happy to take it. Uh, Declan and I will be there. Sign us up, son. But, look, I love Vanillier. I think he's a very, very exciting horse. I'm very excited about his prospects for Cheltenham. Um, there were a few times where he jumped that I thought he was caught a little bit flat-footed, and I, I did sort of go... But in the end, he's won easily. Uh, it was four out in particular... Um, he wasn't fluent. He was headed three out, but he's rallied and uh, comes home 26, 26 lengths clear of Fancy Foundations, helped by the fall of Ballyshannon Row at the last. Uh, and again, sympathy to the connections of Six Shooter. Terrible for Noel Mead and uh, terrible for, for Gigginstown and for that matter for Brian Cooper, who was on board as well. Thankfully, Brian's okay. Um, what's your overall thoughts on, on Vanillier? Um, obviously, the race again didn't tell us that much on its own about the sad fall of a uh, six shirt or four out. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at a, a three runner novice chase, it's not going to tell you much on its own. The only thing I'd be slightly negative on would be like he jumped fine, which I suppose is good without being spectacular. But the time of the handicap chase following it was actually about seven lengths faster. Mm. Now, normally when inferior horses, cause, like the winner was only rated one, two, six, and was carrying actually more than Vanillier, um, weight-wise, or sorry, the winner was one, two, eight, I think, uh, fully charged. Normally when something like that happens, it would be because the, the handicap was run at a more even tempo. But in this case, uh, it was seven lengths slower, despite being about two lengths quicker to four out. And like from four out home, Vanillier was pretty much off the bridle, been niggled along. So again, it wasn't that he was coasting during that period. So I'd be a little worried that he went from seven lengths ahead of fully charged to two lengths behind him in that period of a race when he was actually uh, been asked for an effort. Um, so I couldn't take a positive view of the race for sure. I don't think he achieved, I think he achieved very little on the day. Looked briefly get outpaced nearly when uh, Ali Shannon Rose went for home about three out. Like Vanillier is... Again, he pretty wants three miles at least and a solid pace at that to get at his best. But yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't be upgrading my opinion of his chances of winning um, at the top level over fences this year based on that one. Funnily enough, I reserve judgment. I, I still think he's capable of being 
a top class novice chaser. Not good enough to make it into my toe tend to follow, but enough that I wouldn't say I don't think it's possible. It is possible. I just wouldn't be upgrading in my opinion of him. But whatever I thought, if I thought he had a really good chance of in a, a decent chance of in a top chaser beforehand, I think he is fractionally less chance now in that he just I suppose he just did enough, but he didn't do any more than that anyway. Yeah. The one thing I would say is that it's good news for us in that those pesky bookmakers can't cut him. You couldn't really, some of them I'm sure did, but you couldn't really cut him for Cheltenham on the basis of what he did there. Uh, and particularly yeah, I, with the way the race panned out. And I know, I know, that, yeah, I know that Gavin, Gavin Cromwell has talked about, so he prepped at Limerick last year. There's a novice chase at Limerick he can go for. We know what that is. Um, of course, it's the race the Pensacola of Lead ran in last year. And um, there's obviously options at Leopardstown too. So he will make a decision based on where to go, but he would like Vanillier to get his toe in. So it depend. it's probably going to be Limerick then on, on that basis, unless he wants him running over three miles, in which case it'll be the Neville Hotel. Greater one. But like he he wants to get his toe in as in saying he needs softer ground or that's what he seemed to be implying, yeah. But he didn't need and that. Yes, his best run by a country mile it was at Cheltenham. Exactly. The soft ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have pinched himself. Now. I would too. It's entirely possible he was misquoted. Wouldn't be the first time, won't be the last, but that's what he said. I'd like him to get his toe in. Um, well, there's been many a trainer beforehand before him that has made claims about a horse's ground preferences that aren't backed up by anything that happened on a race course. Well, that <clears throat> whatever you implying, boy, I Shishkin's out until Cheltenham. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what they do with Vanillier and how it all plays out. But I would imagine the most likely target for him is the Neville Hotel handicap. Neville Hotel handicap. The Neville Hotel Grade One novices chase, and uh, hopefully we'll all be there. The Moigiana. The glorious crowning of Echoes in Rain as the champion hurdle uh, pretender to Honeysuckle's ground. Oh, wait, what? Oh, crap. Yeah, this was a tough one to watch, mate. I'll be completely honest about it. We were previewing um, the Women's Super League on TalkSport 2, so I was able to watch this, and my heart just sank. She hasn't run a race. Can't believe for a second that Echoes in Rain has, has run a race, but well done to Patrick Mullins and Sharjah. Um, nice to see Zana here running such a big race as well, but it's 15 lengths back to Echoes in Rain and Sean O'Keefe. And I have heard that there are some Willie Mullins horses that are badly in need of the run. Uh, in fact, if you look at Willie Mullins, if you compare Willie Mullins's, the amount of Willie Mullins horses that have come out recently in comparison to that of Gordon Elliott. Gordon Elliott's had 71 runners in the last two weeks. Pop quiz, Hotshot. How many has Willie had? Uh, no idea. Ten. I've heard that a few of them are backward and that they need a little bit of... They need the run. And she ran like a horse who was desperately in need of the run. So... There was a quote from Patrick Mullins during the week that they were going to do everything in their power to give her the opportunity to showcase that she can be a champion hurdle mare. She hasn't run, in my mind, to form at all. You may disagree, and if you do, we're in for an interesting conversation. Um, but Sharjah has won it, and uh, and won it well for Patrick Mullins. Um, and, uh, of course, he won it in 2018. Saldier came out 
Abracadabras came out, previous winners of this race as well. It's a three-runner race where two don't even really fight out the finish. Sharjah has got a one from a long way out. Zanahir looks as though he's going to be very suited by um, going up and trip. He was slightly hampered on the run-in, which is something to be said, but he was no match for, for Sharjah. Uh, overall, what was your assessment of the Mike Yana? Um, yeah, because of Ray, you'd like to think she's better than that, but at the same time, she will have a lot to prove at this level until she goes and does it because, you know, beating up off great field last year, you know, some horses can look good beating vastly inferior rivals. I'd like to see them beating the, the top ones or at least running against them before you'd make um, an assessment to say that she's definitely up to this level. In other words, you could say on ratings, oh, Cameron X horse by this amount of length makes her 20 pounds better, but like it, there's a lot of variance in those um, conclusions because, you know, when horses win easily against fast and free arrivals, it's kind of hard to put a figure on what they've actually done. Mm. So there's always an element of doubt that they're capable of doing what they maybe look like they might. At the same time, yeah, you'd have to think she's she's better than that. She did pull quite hard, so that wouldn't have helped. Um, but getting beaten 15 lengths in a race that was a, basically a sprint finish is, is a pretty poor show, so you'd, you'd have to think something was wrong. Um Apart from her, like, they'd say an easy lead. You know, when you often hear somebody saying, oh, they got an easy lead, and, and that's a good thing. And it is a good thing to get the lead. But if you're riding Zana here and you actually want to win the race, setting a crawl of a pace to second last means you have absolutely somewhere between zero and football chance of beating Charger, unless there's something wrong with Charger. Because Charger has shown time and again in grade one races that he's a very fast horse. Declan Mar, ladies and gentlemen. Do- Declan Mar, follow him on Twitter. And loves doing uh, other horses for a turn of foot. So I don't know how Davy thought riding a horse that looks like it wants further than two miles off a proper gallop was going to win a, a two, three furlong sprint against a horse that has proven itself to be fast in the past. There was because there's always a chance that you could win the race by charging up and right. And Charger has thrown in a sinker every now and again, but. You're definitely not maximizing your horse's chance in this particular race by setting such a slow pace. Um, so basically, what happened was exactly what you'd expect to happen, given what the horses have shown in the past. You, you would never think Jana here was going to outspring Charger, and and it didn't. Mm. So in my eyes, the race told us nothing new, apart from the fact that Echoes and Rain has a little bit to prove now. Yeah, but you wouldn't you wouldn't downgrade your opinion of Jana here based on that. You'd fully expect him to get beaten by. By Sharjah, given the way the race was run, and like he looks like he wants probably further than two miles. And if it is, if he is anywhere near top class over two miles, it would be on a really, really good gallop. And even then, it probably isn't, but and uh, certainly not off a crawl of a pace. This is why I wanted to get you on the show for a review because this is something that you do on learnbetwin.com as well, your site, but it's also why I want to get you on a few more times as well on the show, uh, many more times, hopefully, uh, is that there can be a complete and total overreaction to how a race has unfolded, what's happened, what we've seen, and people instantly going, oh, well, that's that tells us that Echoes and Rain is no good, or that tells us that Santa here is not good. No, the race was run in the way that it was, and you can't just overreact to a, a result. And in fact, you're... <laughs> Your very uh, hardcore assessment of, well, that's basically told us fuck all. 
um, with the way the design here was was written uh, is something I love for one thing. But but secondly, it's accurate. It's it's a very accurate and very fair assessment of the race. And look, Sharjah will have his opportunity to go and win at Christmas time again. I'm sure he'll be lining up in the Grade One at uh, is it the Ryanair, the Christmas Hurdle, whatever they call it these days. I don't know. They keep changing the name of it at Leopardstown. Um, but he'll line up there. Um, Honeysuckle might run there unless she skips it, having hopefully won the Hanton's Grace and has come through that okay. Uh, you'd imagine that Xana here will be going up in trip as well. And you'd like to think that Echoes and Rain will be there too, because if you're going to say, well, we haven't learned anything about the front two, we also haven't really learned anything about Echoes and Rain other than she does have something to prove, but only on the basis of the fact that she just didn't run a race. Like, there isn't one part, there isn't one ounce of my, one fiber of my being that believes that that is her true form. Oh, it very likely isn't, but uh, I would, it's still a slight negative that you can throw in a sink or anything, you know what I mean? You can't. Yeah. You know, the way I often hear people saying, oh, you can rule out that run. You should never rule out any run. Because no, no, no. It's still no, a negative. If, they're, if, they're, if they ran bad, well, unless they have a very obvious reason they won't happen again, you still have to build it into assessing in the next day that, well, they ran a stinker the last day. Why was that going to happen again? But um, it's kind of like her, saying, it's kind of like assessing the run of Put the Kettle On and saying, oh, well, that's as good as Put the Kettle On is on Sunday. Mm -hmm. When, no, it when it's clearly not the truth. And I would say it's the same thing for her. She clearly just hasn't run a race. And on the basis of the fact that he's only had 10 runners when Gordon's had 95 million in the same time period is a little bit worrying about the William Mons yard. A strange thing to say about a man who's just won the race. But it's enough to make you think maybe some of these horses just need to come forward a little bit. Yeah, it's possible. But at the same time, you know, she, it is when she takes on horses like Sharjah and Honeysuckle and all of them, if that's what they're hoping this year, well, then it is a still a huge step up in class on what she did last year. So you yeah. would like to see her prove she can go up to that class. Now, I don't think it's the step up in class of what did for her the other day. Because if you think about it, as I said, they crawled to the second ass, but she was beaten by then. So you couldn't possibly say, but well, she's not capable of, uh, in other words, they, they didn't go any faster than you would expect in a, a, a maiden hurdle. And for the maiden hurdles to keep going at that pace, and yet she couldn't manage to pick up at all, nearly off it, like she was left well behind. So, yeah, you'd imagine she wasn't right. Pulling hard probably didn't help, but yeah, she still has a bit to prove. Yeah, that's the other thing. She ran very free as well, but I, I don't think that was the beating of her. I think she just is going to prove to be one of those William Mullins horses that will improve in time. But whether or not she can actually be the horse that I think she can be remains to be seen. Uh, the final subject is what I consider to be one of the greatest pieces of horsemanship that I've ever seen. There may be a different view from Declan Mar. We'll see. Uh, two runner race. We've had the debate about field sizes and um, oh, this is rubbish, these small field races. My producer actually said what happens if both of these horses fall? Long before that happened. And I said, it would be a void race. And he goes, what happens if one falls and the other wins? Like, does, does it just a case of that? I went, it's just, that horse gets all the prize money, that horse wins. And he goes, huh. 
and I said, did you ever hear about the horse who, the horse who fell yet won the race? And he said, what, what are you talking about? Said Scott. And I said, family business. Tony McCoy fell off family business, grabbed her, uh, saw another horse fall, then saw another two fall, remounted, and as he did, I think another two fell, if I remember correctly, and he goes on and wins the race. And he'd never heard that story before. He's he's not massively into racing. He is somewhat into racing, but not massively into it. You don't need to be to be a, a producer of shows. Um, most of the producers in, in racing TV coverage are not racing fans. Um, and he was blown away by that and thought it was an amazing story. Uh, I thought that it was an incredible piece of horsemanship from Rachel Blackmore. Harry Skelton has gone out the front door. I think, and it's just an opinion, man, that Harry Skelton looked at what Rachel Blackmore was doing and went to go grab my Drogo to remount and then realized, oh, crap, I can't do that because of the Ruby slash Cotto rule. You can no longer do that anymore. Um, how Rachel Blackmore has maintained the partnership in the first place, because they fall independently of one another at the second last, is beyond me. How she had the foresight and the thought of mind to get the horse back up and then allow her jump the last and then just sail up the hill. I thought it was extraordinary. I think it's an exceptional performance. Going into the race, Henry de Brumhead had said she was going on a break anyway. That being said, having read your tweets, and I deliberately didn't speak to you about this beforehand, I think you have a slightly different view to me. My view would be the same on the state. I thought she did remarkably well to stay on it. Uh, although a friend of mine actually texted afterwards and said, if she fell off that, you'd be disgusted. But uh, <laughs> I, think he was been, I think he was been a bit... I think he was been a bit harsh. Slightly. Um, uh, but yeah, I thought it was a really good sit. Uh, I agree on uh, Harry Skelton. Um, he clearly ran after the horse to remount. And I would disagree that he suddenly copped to her loud. I don't think he copped it at all. I think he, he realised he wasn't going to be able to catch it because it started to gallop away. Oh. Um, he looked around at Rachel, started running after his own horse. There's no way, I've never seen a doctor do that for any other reason than to try and um, that he, he actually thought he could remount. I'd say he forgot. And I suppose that in the heat of the moment that Harry Skelton forgot that he wasn't allowed to remount, you could give Rachel some sort of um, what would you like dispensation for the fact that she maybe forgot it was a two-horse race because I can't think of any other reason for her doing what she did. I know it's you're saying it's hindsight, but it was actually when I was watching the race at the time, my very first instinct as the horse got up, was that she was going to like stop, walk around, give it a trot, see was it okay, and then you'd bring it back to the back of the second last and get because the horse, because it had slid on landing and got up, it is already whatever 20 yards or so past the, the fence. It's already a very short run to the last. So from a stand and start to get the momentum to jump the last was going to be very hard on a horse that had used up probably a lot of energy keeping itself on its feet. Mm. So to ask the horse to jump the last, when she could have stopped, made sure it was all right for one, which so on welfare grounds, she would have been far more confident that the horse didn't have something wrong with it. Um, I know her telling the stewards she trot the horse and it was fine to go ahead. Like, I think that's bullshit, really. Like, 
if you see as soon as the horse gets up she gave it a kick in the belly and then sat behind the saddle like she didn't evaluate anything but her only instinct was to get it over the last I think you could have maximised her chances of getting over the last by waiting give the horse a little breather go back to the back of the second last give a more of a run at it and the horse will have caught a threat again and equally then you will have actually had a chance to find out was there anything um, apparently wrong with the horse so I, I think she failed on both counts and the only thing I can think of is because she actually, her instinct was she's in a race, but in reality, once the other horse fell, she wasn't in a race anymore. Yeah, I, I completely see your point in terms of welfare, and I can already hear people yelling at their smart speakers, their iPhones, they're they're in the car going, "Ah, come on, man! That was that was one of the greatest pieces of horsemanship ever, and all you want to do is criticize it." But you're talking, you're coming at this purely from the perspective of the welfare of the horse, which is uh, paramount. Not to, remember, not just not just the welfare of the horse, also maximising the horse's chance of winning the race. Remember, it's very easy to say now, I got over the last one, but did she maximise the chances of the horse jumping the last? I don't think she did. I think she minimised them by doing it straight away. Yeah, because those... I also think she minimised the chances of the horse uh, pulling out sound the next day. And just because the horse did pull out sound the next day doesn't change how you evaluate her decision when she made the decision. You can't mm. use the hindsight of all well, the horse was grand, so therefore she was right. She couldn't possibly have known the horse was right when she decided to jump the last. I'm saying she could have had more information and also maximized the chances of the horse actually getting over the last. But to counter-argument that, and in, in her defense, seeing as Rachel's not here to, to defend herself, I still think it was an incredible feat of horsemanship. I still don't know how she, like your friend is talking utter nonsense. I have no idea how she stayed on. I, I just don't know. Uh, it's basically the same fall. And Harry Skelton is a very, very talented jockey. He's on the deck and she's not. And hey, well, hold on now. His horse fell. Hers didn't roll over. You can't stay on once a horse, the neck goes in under the horse or the horse falls to either side. Did you could say it was, you could say she did well, really well to stay on. But it was nearly more remarkable by the horse than than by the rider. You would actually expect it. Once you hadn't fallen by the time the horse went down, you wouldn't really expect it to fall off at that point. Oh, I've seen it. I've, yeah, it, I've, you I've know, seen because, it. Because the stopping of the motion could actually, it's kind of like a bike. If you stop the bike having been going, it's harder to keep your balance. Yeah. So there is that. But at the same time, it, it was a really, really good sit. But we've seen really good sits a lot. You've seen hard jockeys get fired up in the air, landing on their neck and somehow staying on. Like they're just as remarkable. But for a horse to actually not roll over in that situation I thought was utterly amazing. Yeah, it's look, it's it's brilliant on both counts. The official line is uh, from the BHA uh, that the horse made a mistake and almost fell. Um, then gets left alone two out. So again, I, I, I stand by the instance that I think it's an incredible feat of horsemanship from Rachel to actually keep the partnership intact. I don't know how she managed to do that. I think it's an interesting argument to bring to the table that in that moment, I, I think it's fascinating that you agree with me, but that you agree with me in a different way. That you don't just think that Harry Skelton was going to remount my drug and then goes, "Oh no, I can't do that." He was going for it and was trying and just couldn't catch the horse. It was out of his head. Yeah, which I, which kind of brings you to the point that you're in the heat of the moment. You're in the heat of battle, and when you're in the heat of battle, you're not really thinking clearly. You're, the only thing you're thinking about is the win. And once Gin and Lime gets up, 
in Rachel's mind, with the crowd roaring, she's she's probably just thinking, okay, I've just done something remarkable. This is insane. Let's get over the last. Hopefully, she'll jump the last okay. And as she gallops towards it, she's clearly moving well enough for Rachel to feel, okay, I can jump this. And then once she's jumped it, that's it. It's it's game over. The, ra- the race is won. But you would have liked her to take a turn because once Harry Skelton is on the floor, it is just a one-horse race now. Yeah, like I would get me Nichols in a twist over the welfare issues because, as you say, if she felt the horse was wrong between uh, when it got back up and the last, she wouldn't have tried to come the last, she would have pulled it up. But I, I do think she had more of a, uh, a chance to evaluate that by taking her time. And more so, you know, her job is to win the race as well. She definitely had more chance of doing that because, like, it's a pretty big ask for a horse to, to, to be pretty much on the ground with her legs in underneath you push yourself back up. It's like doing a squat with a really, really heavy weight to then suddenly have to jump a fence that's only what, I don't know, it's probably 100 yards in front of her or a little more at that stage. Uh, pretty not even that. Like To mm. do that, it was a big ask for the horse and she could have given the horse more chance to do it, I think. Uh, but like, I wouldn't be, if the horse had come down, I suppose my point is if the horse had come down, which would have been almost no different than her decision-making, it would have been just the horse was, didn't get over the last. She would have got absolutely stated. I, 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 I wouldn't be so results biased as to say everything is okay just because it got over the last and pulled out fine the next day. I think at the time she made the decision, she could have made a better one. Okay. I think it was, it was an extraordinary piece of horsemanship. I don't think there's a better jockey in the wing room than Rachel Blackmore. I don't, I don't think there's a better jockey in the weighing room in Britain or Ireland, not just on the basis of the fact that she pulled this off, but tactically, physically, how she positions her horses. I mean, right now, who's better than her? Um, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a good few of them, but there's not a whole lot between. Um, I wouldn't have anyone. Like, I think... I think when Ruby was riding, he pretty stood out more than any current rider does over the rest of it. Yeah. There was um, there was a a posse, a clan, if you like, between Ruby, AP, Carberry, Garrity, Richard Johnson, and they're all gone now. And yeah, they I, they all had their own unique individual traits. Like McCoy was incredibly powerful in a finish. Ruby, I've never seen a better horseman. I've never seen someone with more finesse in a race, and I've never seen someone almost always have his horse positioned in exactly the right place. And the only person that I can think of in the weighing room right now that does that is Rachel. And I think back to the champion hurdle. She knew that her biggest danger was Epitone, the defending champion, and she pinned him in. You're sticking on the rail, I'm keeping you there, and I'm going to sprint for home, and good luck trying to catch me. If you do... Fair play. She pinned Epiton to the rail. She made sure that Epiton was not going to get first run on her. And she ends up bolting up in the race. It's not just that. It's how she positioned her ride middle times in the in the Grand National. Even the ride in defeat in the Gold Cup. She did everything that she possibly could to go and win that race. I don't think there's a better jockey in the weighing room. And five years ago on this show, there was a debate about oh, female jockeys can't make it unless they're given a weight allowance. And I remember Chris Cook and I debating that against the person who was saying it, going, what are you talking about? Right now we have the personal trainer for 
Holly Doyle saying she is the she has the strongest core of any jockey he's ever worked with. And for the second successive season, she's finished fifth overall in the Jockeys Championship. You've got Bryony Frost winning grade ones. You've got Rachel Blackmore and more coming through. And I think the mistake that was being made at the time when that person was making that argument was comparing MMA fighting and football and rugby. And you can make those arguments if you want. But being a jockey is a very, very different thing. Jockeys starve themselves to get rides, to make weight. So it's a different type of strength. And there are very talented jockeys like Aidan Coleman. Patrick Mullins doesn't get the credit he deserves. But I don't think there's anybody better than her in the weighing room. I don't think anybody can put a, can lay a glove on her. And she's by far the best. While you make some very salient points about maybe taking a turn and just making sure everything was okay, in the heat of battle and in the heat of the moment, I'd even argue that her peripheral vision sees Harry Skelton running from Madrogo. I do think that there was a, there was an element of, you know, heat of the moment and she just goes right to try and win the race, thinking the other horse could still be in it, whereas in reality it couldn't be. Yeah. Like as a counter argument to my one, I know some people would say probably say uh that you can't just uh stop, walk around in a horse for a minute and ask it to jump a fence because it might think that, you know, but hold on that the race is clearly picking over, like yeah, you might not get it going at all after letting it kind of cool down slightly. So like there is that counter argument. I do think a balance between uh checking is it okay and the fact that it is. You know, if there was a longer run to the last, I mightn't say the same because it would give her more chance to evaluate the horse between then and the fence at a slower pace before then asking it to pick up a jump the last. It's the fact that it was such a short run to the last. The horse had already covered a bit of that ground sliding along the ground and getting up again. She actually had very little time to build up momentum and a horse would clearly be tired to jump the last is why I actually think uh, taking a pause would have been the better thing. But if there was a... If there was another 150 hours to the last, I'd say what she did was perfectly fine because she would have had time to get up, get going, uh, build up a bit of momentum and get over the last, while at the same time she'd be, she'd be aware of anything went wrong between then and the last. It was just such a short run that I think that it was actually asking quite a bit of the horse to get up and jump it, but it did, so. I completely take your point, but I would give her full credit for an incredible set, your friends talking utter nonsense, and uh, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time Donald has uh, <laughs> talked a bit of nonsense. <laughs> oh, he's getting caught out in the pod as well. Oh no, um, no, it's brilliant. I thought it was a terrific piece of horsemanship. But it's it's interesting to have these debates. You know, if we don't, then what's the point? It doesn't preclude. We should mention my Drogo. It doesn't preclude my Drogo from going on and being a very successful horse in the spring. Um, she had, Junon Lime had an enormous amount of experience chasing. She competed in five, won four. My Drogo was being, was being thrown in and was clearly traveling better uh, of the two. But those obstacles are there to be jumped and he didn't. So we'll have to wait and see what My Drogo does next. But uh, he definitely remains a very exciting horse as the, as the season goes on. Declan Marr from Learn, Bet, Win. Pleasure as always, my friend. Uh, if there was a horse that you would take away from the weekend to follow, who would it be? Um, from a betting perspective, I'd definitely be interested in simply the bets. Maybe in another of like, is it what do they call it? I think that them races have changed names so often. I Caspian caviar. Caspian caviar, yeah, and um, a bit of softer ground as well. Because I do think I, I wouldn't mind him stepped up to three miles either. But you know, he 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 always looked like he he could do 
better. He ran the, he dropped, got dropped a few pounds for his run in the race last year. The betting suggested he probably needed the run. Um, the fact that he wasn't strong at the finish would nearly back that up, having travelled quite well. Um, so, yeah, I think he's, he's definitely still handicapped to win one of them. Yeah, I would find it difficult to disagree with you, seeing as he was my overall selection in the race, along with Zanza, and then bizarrely, Dead heats for sixth. Who dead he? Who dead heats for sixth in this day and age? But thankfully, we got paid out full. So uh, fair play. I, I would make a, a brief mention for Oscar Elite. I thought Oscar Elite was traveling. He he fell, but it was a soft fall. He clearly has immense potential as, as a chaser. So I'll, I'll throw in Oscar Elite, who did not complete, and an honourable mention for Adagio who surely is going to win one of these prizes. I hope they go for the Beulah with the Dashiell. Because it's going to be weak. Go on, Dave. Go for the Beulah with Get the job done. Right, that's it. From Declan Mark. Good luck. And, <laughs> and from me, Emmett Kennedy, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the support of independent media as well. Uh, check out allaboutsunday.com for more information about horses that you can get shares in right now, including our horse Scarlet Witch. We're going to see her this week, baby! And she's going to win! There is a photograph of me talking to Gordon at the open day, and it's me saying, one more run on a bumper, Gordon. All right, Kennedy, he says. All right, we'll do it. Yeah, because Gordon's going to listen to me for advice on what to do in terms of how to train a racehorse. Jesus. Uh, but I can't wait to see her in action. I'm very much looking forward to that. Think we're running this week. Think. But uh, we'll see. And it's going to be a competitive bumper, so we'll see how it goes. She's definitely going to be better over hurdles. And, uh, and of course, Kaluki Sportsbook, who were there for all three days of Cheltenham. Hopefully, you went up and said hello. And um, they'll be out and about for the Betfair Chase as well. And we'll be getting the best prices from them for Thursday's show, too. Uh, until the next time, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Spread the word. Haters in private, lovers in public, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app and get involved today. All About Sunday. We love racing. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook, the market-leading messenger betting service, providing best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing, plus with the option of instant withdrawals. Visit kalukisportsbook.com to sign up now.